Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Academic neurosurgeon Dr. Eben Alexander III, whose career includes decades as a physician and associate professor at Harvard Medical School and revered teaching hospitals, held a strong materialist worldview, the belief that the physical world is all that exists. His scientific belief system was altered by his 2008 transcendental near-death experience, an odyssey into another realm during a week-long coma. Despite a bleak medical prognosis, Dr. Alexander awoke to make an inexplicable return to full health. His medical case and recovery were validated in the peer-reviewed Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. Since his NDE, Dr. Alexander has been reconciling his rich spiritual experience with quantum physics, cosmology, and the philosophy of mind, and speaks around the world to educate about the role that consciousness plays in wellness, healing, and recovery. A pioneering scientist and modern thought leader in the emerging science that acknowledges the primacy of consciousness in the universe, he is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe. Here's my conversation with Dr. Alexander, where we discuss near-death experiences, materialism in the West, and the value of direct experience. So welcome, Dr. Alexander. It's so lovely to have you on the show. Well, Tony, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. One of the main reasons for my podcast is to discuss and learn about the afterlife, but it's also an attempt to normalize what I call extra-normal experiences by informing and educating people through stories of their direct experience and as well as the supporting science. So you're in a position to assess your near-death experience from both sides, both science and spirituality. You've shared your experience in the face of a lot of criticism, but you broke down barriers in regards to being able to discuss NDEs far more openly and made it very safe for people to share them. Now, in episode one, in season one, I had the privilege of speaking with Leslie Lupo. And Leslie's experience in the, it was the late 1980s when she had her near death, she was actually threatened by her physician to be sent to the psychiatric ward because of what she was sharing about her experience. So now it's 30 years later and NDEs are getting a lot more traction and people are able to speak about them far more openly and about all kinds of spiritual experiences. In fact, NDEs are actually my most downloaded episodes. Does that surprise you? Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think one of the deepest and most profound questions human beings have ever asked is what occurs, you know, in the experience after, you know, a body dies. And of course, we know what happens to the body. It just kind of, you know, dissolves and disintegrates. But that is not what happens to kind of our soul, spirit and our conscious awareness. Uh, the evidence for that has been... Uh, pretty much overwhelming, uh, you know, for thousands of years. And yet uh, the kind of heyday of the last few centuries with our materialist science kind of leading the way in our thinking um, has perpetuated uh, this, this myth that when the body dies, the soul and conscious awareness die. And uh, near-death experiencers have been around for more than 2,000 years to tell us otherwise. And it turns out that so much of what I do in this, in this work and, and uh, uh, this has occupied, you know, 
the 12 years plus of my life since my NDE is to work with scientists from around the world trying to come to a deeper understanding of the nature of consciousness and of existence. But I would say the evidence from a scientific and philosophical perspective is absolutely overwhelming that our souls uh, continue. Um, and, you know, it's insane that uh, the whole world has been slave to these, uh, you know, kind of closed-minded, uh, pseudo-skeptical uh, alleged scientists who are not even willing to study the data. Once you study the data, you realize there's no question. Um, you know, yeah, you can watch a body die and you can surmise what's happening to that body, but that is not what is going on with the uh, soul. And there's after-death communications, deathbed visions, past life memories in children indicative of reincarnation, um, quantum physics itself, the very most proven field in the history of science, uh, actually demands the existence of this kind of consciousness uh, independent of physical matter. Uh, and that is something, of course, that Karen and I covered in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. It's really a huge part of my mission now, and this is the way the world is headed. Uh, and it's to open the door so that millions and millions can share their own stories and not just be dismissed as, you know, kind of crazy or making it up. And your story about Leslie Lupo, I mean, I've heard her story. It's an amazing story. And uh, the bottom line is, yes, these stories are out there literally by the millions and they will change our world. But we need to realize that they're telling us something very deep and profound about the nature of our existence. Definitely. The more I talk to people, people will just say on the side, oh, by the way, I had an experience of right. whatever sort. Um, but it's still people are hesitant to speak openly about it. Well, you're exactly right. And um, that was one of the main reasons I wrote Proof of Heaven. I realized what had happened to me especially in the setting of a severe uh, gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis that afflicted all eight lobes of my brain, uh, it really completely shocked me no end about the ultra-reality I was then able to experience. And, you know, people don't just have to take my word for it based on proof of heaven. There's a medical case report that came out in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in September 2018 by... Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Suri Kaba and uh, Lauren Moore and uh, Bruce Grayson, where they uh, had spent more than two years reviewing my medical records uh, and came up with a profound uh, kind of confirmation of my story as told proof of heaven. In fact, they were even more shocked than I was that a brain so afflicted with such well-documented damage to the neocortex could manifest such a robust ultra-reality. Uh, but of course, they also had to explain my survival, because when you read the medical record, if you're a physician, uh, just as when I reviewed my medical records initially, it was like, wait a minute, this doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. This is absurd. Uh, people who go through all this in the form of this kind of meningitis do not make a full recovery. And uh, that's exactly what happened to me over two months after my coma. And the doctors who wrote that case report were not involved in my care but they were fascinated by that miraculous recovery. And in fact, when they were challenged by the peer reviewers uh, at that journal to explain how this could possibly happen, how did the, this case line up? They said it's because he had a near-death experience that he had this profound healing. In other words, just admitting going far beyond what doctors have admitted for more than six decades by using placebo effect as the gold standard for assessing any new treatment. That's simply an acknowledgement that our beliefs, our thoughts, 
our emotions can have a tremendous role in our healing. Uh, and this is, you know, I would say that these NDEs like mine, Anita Mojani's, uh, Mary C. Neal's, these are all cases where you re review the medical details, you say, no way this person survived. And the fact that they survived, and not only that, they thrived, and then went on to talk about their experience, should tell you a lot about the power that this kind of spiritual wisdom has for all of us to bring healing into our own lives. This brings to mind the psychedelic studies that you mentioned in Living in a Mindful Universe, the three studies where they all found that as the psychedelic experience increases, the brain shuts down. Right. And when I, when I read about that and then I, I heard about you speaking about it in an interview, um, you also added that the scientists weren't quite sure what to make of the results. In other words, they couldn't even really admit that that's what they we're seeing. Right. Well, it, it's those blinders of materialist assumptions. I mean, I know it because I lived all that before my coma and I know how, how strong those blinders can be, but uh, still the evidence completely overwhelms such blind assumptions. And that's, I think those psychedelic studies that you mentioned are very, very important. We review them in some detail in Living in a Mindful Universe, but the upshot of it is several labs around the world using functional MRI using magnetoencephalography, using our best tools to look at brain activity, are actually finding that under the influence of psilocybin, LSD, DMT, the active principle in ayahuasca, dimethyltryptamine, that all of these serotonin 2A uh, uh, agonist, antagonist, uh, psychedelic drugs, I would not call them hallucinogens, that implies that what they're showing you is not real, false. What they're showing you is a different aspect of the very real world we live in. Uh, and uh, the fact that the brain goes dark, that there's not a single neuronal population anywhere in the brain that gets more active to try and explain those phenomenal experiences under the influence of such plant medicines uh, is, is just uh, wild. And so for a materialist neuroscientist, they're kind of left holding the bag with absolutely no idea how to move forward because they've always assumed that the brain is doing all that. And then when you find that uh, time after time after time, in all these cases, all these studies, you continue to document the brain is actually going dark. It just shows you the materialist model is absolutely dead from the viewpoint of neuroscience, you know, in seeking where memories are stored, et cetera. All of this is leading us to realize, well, you have to reach outside of the, the material realm. Uh, and it's especially... Uh, interesting. There's one other facet I like to mention in the moment, uh, and that is that also some courageous investigators like at uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, at NYU, UCLA, uh, other centers have been using psilocybin, a single dose or maybe two doses in a proper therapeutic setting uh, to treat people, uh, terminal cancer patients with a horrific uh, debilitating fear of death, also to treat some of the worst addictions we know of, nicotine addiction, which is incredibly tough to beat, opioid addiction, et cetera. And in fact, has uh, when you use psilocybin in this therapeutic setting, one or two doses, for years afterward, you can have a tremendous benefit. And it's not, it's, what I would point out there is it's not because the psilocybin itself is making that happen. That's the fact that you only need one or two doses should tell you a whole lot. What it's doing is serving as a catalyst to allow us to kind of reconnect with higher soul, 
reconnect with kind of the greater part of ourself that's part of that primordial mind, that infinitely healing God force that in the ears have experienced. But we can experience that as kind of our higher soul. And it helps us to move beyond the addiction, move beyond the fear of death, to appreciate that we're much grander beings in this puny little ego bound thing, living in a body, birth to death and nothing more. So, and what I would argue to extend that is that you can do the same thing through meditation. This is why Karen and I with Sacred Acoustics are so into using meditation uh, to help transform people's lives. Uh, in fact, there was a book written about that comparison between binaural beat brainwave entrainment, which is Sacred Acoustics is the most powerful form of, of uh, that in, uh, modality I know of. Um, and uh, Richard Bache wrote a beautiful book Dark Night, Early Dawn, where he talked, he compared his work using high dose LSD for spiritual work with his work using binaural beat brainwave entrainment and compared them both favorably together. And I would argue that the meditation can take you even further than those psychedelic substances because it's actually accessing consciousness is a much deeper, more fundamental level than those psychedelics, which are basically having their influence uh, mainly through the neocortex, through the very kind of superficial end-stage uh, kind of calculator involving consciousness, as opposed to going down in the lower brainstem, which is what sacred acoustics does, to get to a much deeper, richer, more primordial level of consciousness to engender our healing. We'll talk about sacred acoustics most definitely. I just wanted to make a point. Uh, Jeffrey Kripal wrote the book, The Flip, mm -hmm. where he tries to blend all of this. I believe you refer right. to as consilience. Is that right? Yes. Consilience is just that all the evidence, no matter what your field of inquiry, all points to the same thing. Right. And that's the point we made in Living in a Mindful Universe. The consilience from neuroscience, you know, the hard problem of consciousness, philosophy of mind, what's known as the binding problem or the apparent unity of consciousness within an individual, all the findings of, par of parapsychology that show the absolute reality of things like telepathy, precognition, uh, past life memories in children, NDEs, deathbed visions, the list is long of all the evidence for non-local consciousness. And consilience means all of those, including quantum physics, which actually insists on primacy of mind just as the founding fathers that field so proudly acclaimed back in the early days. And all the experiments in quantum physics have continued to tighten the noose. So the only uh, realistic explanation, unless you like infinite parallel universes, which do not seem to be our common experience, is ob uh, this objective or analytic idealism, this uh, understanding that mind, the whole universe is essentially mental. Uh, and that that's where the relationships happen, not at the lower subatomic level of interaction of particles, but from that mental layer of understanding. And we have access to that. And that's where all of this gets to be tremendously exciting. And that's where meditation, like with sacred acoustics, helps people to engage very directly with that power. Definitely. So tell me then about sacred acoustics. How did you become involved with that? Well, uh, November 2011, you know, I was three years out from my coma. I'd read more than 150 books trying to understand consciousness. I was beginning to work with uh, a lot of scientists uh, around the world, uh, more than 300 scientists I know of that actually study consciousness and realize consciousness is not created by the brain. And I met Karen Newell. Uh, we were both participating in a sound workshop. Uh, trying that was very specifically directed at using differential frequency sound 
uh, for brainwave entrainment. And uh, when I met Karen, I was absolutely uh, blown away because I was just beginning to realize the true power of the metaphysical position of idealism. And of course, I was trying to incorporate this great wisdom of the one mind, which I felt I was hot on the trail of, with that infinite healing force of love that I encountered in my NDE. And yet I somehow was not really connecting the dots perfectly. And then when I met Karen, all of that came together. I realized she had been living her entire life as an idealist, uh, very richly and deeply living and knowing the profound truth of the power of the mental uh, layer and that uh, sentient beings have access to that to, to affect this world in profound ways. But not only that, she also brought in the true power of unconditional love, that kind of heart consciousness uh, concept that to me was so revealing. Um, and I knew that uh, Karen and her, uh, she had a very good friend, Kevin Cossey, who was an electrical engineer. And he was interested in making his own binaural beat tones. And she said, sure, fat chance, good luck with that. But it turns out he was very good at it. He has an engineering mind, he, he's excellent. And so I've worked with both of them now uh, for more than a decade. Um, and in fact, it was my urging early on when they were doing these tones just for each other and kind of playing with them. And I would listen to these tones and go, wait, no, 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 no. You have to get these out to the world. Uh, and of course, they were plenty wise to realize that was true. And they, they formed their company. So they were the co-owners and co-founders of Sacred Acoustics, not me. Uh, I've never been a, had a financial interest in, in Sacred Acoustics. I just, I use Sacred Acoustics an hour to a day. I'm a giant fan of it. I've been their kind of alpha tester for years. I get, you know, first dips on every experimental product uh, in the pipeline. I thoroughly enjoy every bit of that because for me, I'm like a kid in a candy store. This stuff is very powerful. You know, binaural beats were first uh, kind of defined in the mid 1800s. You know, the uh, Prussian physicist named Dove figured out that a single pure tone in one ear, a slightly different pure tone in the other ear, and the brain somehow generates a wavering signal equal to the arithmetic difference between the two inputs. So say 100 hertz here, 104 hertz here, and your brain will generate a four hertz signal, very powerful signal, and it ends up modulating your consciousness. Uh, investigators in the late 20th century figured that it uh, binaural beats could play a big role in enhancing out-of-body experiences. They also discovered that remote viewing, one of the most proven fields of, of kind of uh, non-local consciousness and an information field that we all have access to, uh, remote viewing can be enhanced using binaural beat brainwave entrainment. So it's no surprise to me that in our workshops and a lot of Karen's customers around the world, we hear incredible stories of, of great kind of progress and understanding people encountering their guides, souls of departed loved ones, uh, incredible creativity for artif artistic and scientific pursuits. I mean, uh, these really open the door to universal mind, just a very powerful uh, kind of technology. And I've used them re to return to my NDE many a time. In fact, if you read Living in a Mindful Universe, you'll find how I encountered the soul of my father. He had not been present at my NDE. He had passed over four years before my uh, coma. 
Uh, and yet I found him two and a half years later very robustly through this uh, program of deep meditation. And in fact, the lessons he gave me there simply confirmed the reality of everything I was pursuing through differential frequency brainwave entrainment uh, and enhanced meditative techniques. And for me, that kind of enhanced meditation is always a form of centering prayer. It's always a form of returning to that God source of oneness, of the win-win situation for all involved, the higher soul kind of version of reality, and of choices of love, kindness, compassion, mercy, uh, gratitude, and when necessary, forgiveness. Uh, so it's just been an extraordinary journey, uh, and a tremendous amount of it, uh, for me, has been fueled by my work with meditation in sacred acoustics. I can attest I have the whole theta. Uh -huh. And that really resonates with me. It really takes me to places that I haven't been before. So I really appreciate the work that's been done. Well, it's uh, it really is amazing. And, and you're right. We hear that from so many people, people who've never meditated before, who just love the tones. And then we hear from, uh, you know, we'll hear from monks who have meditated for 30 years, who still get a benefit, uh, you know, from these tones. So. Uh, it can help people at all levels. It, it's not necessarily going to help everybody. Some people have a little trouble with the tones, but by and large, I would say they're extremely well tolerated. Uh, and what we hear back from the users uh, are incredible stories of kind of empowerment uh, and healing and coming into wholeness and a deeper understanding of their purpose and meaning in life. I mean, there are tremendous benefits that come from this kind of engagement with that, uh, uh, that neutral observer, that primordial mind by traversing the veil of the brain. This makes me think of direct experience. We talked about the science. It's always fascinating. It's validating. But science can also only take us so far, at least at this point. When it comes to direct experience, myself, I've experienced forms of non-local consciousness. And the something I observed was that there's a knowing, either a split second before or in the moment of experiencing the phenomena. And it's a knowing of this is real, whatever we want to, <laughs> however you want to define real. But th this is this is expanded consciousness. There is no doubt. Right. And I feel that carries a lot more weight and is um, more evidence individually than we need to share with others in the sense of proving it to other people. And it's a quicker way to expanded consciousness than reading about it and understanding the science. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, you're absolutely right. And, and I must say, Karen really pointed that out to me initially, the absolute crucial nature of personal experience. Now, of course, I knew uh, from my own personal experience as an NDE that, oh my God, that changed my life entirely. It provided a 180 degree flip in terms of my understanding of the nature of reality. So yes, I knew in my case, personal experience had played a tremendous role, but my assumption early on is, well, but other people then just have to hear your story and believe it. And Karen was the one who really showed me the power of taking other people within, uh, of using tones, getting deep within and, and generating, cultivating your own personal experience. So uh, I credit her with a tremendous amount of wisdom that helped me along those lines. And in fact, she has a tremendous amount to say about discernment, uh, about that whole process of separating the wheat from the chaff on these journeys. And uh, I must say the other gift that I received from my journey, uh, from my deep NDE, was a tremendous amount of trust in the universe. 
I realize that the universe does not just kind of dump random observations and information on your platter uh, and walk away. The universe hands you what you need to know at given points in your journey to help you grow. So when I do deep meditations and I'll have these visions that'll pop into my head kind of out of nowhere, um, that I, I usually kind of assume and label them as past life memories, even though I, I have no immediate way of, of knowing if I can prove that that was my past life, that I lived that as a soul. But it really doesn't matter because I don't believe the universe just throws these kind of uh, random chaotic things in your pathway to confuse you. It's all there to help in your growth. Um, and so discernment is an absolutely crucial skill. Um, there, you start to note differences between kind of imaginings and kind of the imaginal and the kind of full-blown power of what the universe can show you. Uh, but that, that sense of reality is a very important indicator. Uh, you get a sense of authenticity. And I learned to trust the universe very deeply. And for some people, they might have to just rely on NDE stories and things like that to initially gain that trust. But then you gain it most profoundly through personal experience, as you say, going within. And of course, at the end of the day, the important thing to remember is this, you know, the true power of NDEs and of all we have to say now about non-local consciousness and the kind of reality of of soul and uh, interconnectedness of souls uh, is not about the, you know, the deep mystery of what happens when I die. But in fact, the true power of these stories is how do I make choices today in the way I live, the way I treat myself, the way I treat others. Uh, every choice I make in life is very much influenced by my deep understanding of this kind of nature of my relationship with the universe. Uh, so it's very important that people take it seriously. And when you uh, kind of glean this kind of information and start realizing uh, how powerful it can be in your life, uh, start taking it uh, seriously and acting on it. All the choices we make in our daily life, not just in meditation and what kind of intention we're going to accept there, but really every minute of our, our living and breathing and choosing and, and expressing gratitude, uh, offering kindness, compassion, and mercy to others. Every bit of that is something that can grow out of that meditative experience and personal experience. But ultimately, it's how we live our lives that makes the biggest difference. And that's what all this is about, is an awakening to uh, a much more unified and synthesized kind of vision of our relationship with the universe and with all fellow beings uh, that is no longer based on the false assumptions of materialism that we're separate objects. Uh, that's one of the deepest crimes of materialist science is to uh, lead us into believing that we're separate objects, separate from others and separate from the universe. And also the, some of the side effects of that uh, out of the 20th century and Darwinian evolution misinterpretations, behavior is kind of believing that animals did not have a rich spiritual sense. Uh, because I'd say that is absolutely a truth that's emerging from this modern science of consciousness, is animals, uh, in fact, the entire plant kingdom exists with us, within consciousness, within this one mind of infinite loving and healing force. And we need to kind of bring that into our modern uh, kind of thinking and civilization, this notion of oneness, connectedness, and that we're all here to take care of each other. And that includes our animal friends. It's interesting you bring that up because that was actually part of my experiences as well. I had even a, how can I call it, an equivalent to terminal lucidity in a pet cat, if that even can make sense. Yeah, um, that can a birth, make perfect sense. Right? A surge of energy. Absolutely. Which I, you know, in my grief thought, oh, you're healed. 
wonderful. And then three days later, passing away. So that's how it happens in people. So you're exactly right. So, and that's just direct experience and a little bit of piecing the information together. Um, Right. That's beautiful. As as well, I can even say that uh, there's animal companions that come to collect our, our pets at the time of death. That's also something I distinctly experienced. Absolutely. That is beautiful and a wonderful thing to share. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of practices in our modern world that need to shift. And I would say certainly the way we treat animals in the food and farming industry is is abominable and and really should be absolutely abandoned. Uh, I mean, we'd be much healthier if we move mainly to plant protein anyway. Uh, Animal protein is and the fats and everything else involved is what makes many of us die years before we should. Uh, you know, just uh, from a viewpoint of health, we would, as omnivores, uh, it'd be far wiser for us to shift as much as possible more towards uh, plant-based uh, protein and things like that. Definitely. I agree. Then direct experience. I'm remembering Michael Shermer in your book had an experience with his wife, her father's uh, exactly. a radio. Right? Yes. Yeah. One that he even wrote up in Scientific American. <laughs> And uh, he, I, I was so, you know, I actually met him twice, once before that event uh, where he was there to serve as a debunker, uh, you know, of my experience. And then he had that event and it's extraordinary and you can find it. You know, we write about it in, in Living in a Mindful Universe. And of course, uh, um, those who follow him in Scientific American will be aware of his blog where he confessed, well, when you don't have the answers, it's best to maintain an open mind. And the evidence from that story was very strongly that the grandfather's soul, who the grandfather of his uh, fiance, uh, was there to uh, provide his kind of best wishes and love through playing that radio, a broken radio that Michael had been unable to force into a, a serviceable mode, uh, you know, and just relegated to the back of a drawer in his desk. And then the day before their wedding, they had that beautiful music coming from that radio. I mean, to me, it's as obvious as can be. And yet, uh, you know, and he tried to keep an open mind, but he got blasted by his readers who said, what are you, a madman? You know, of course, it was just some quirk. Well, if you treat all miracles as quirks, you'll never experience a miracle. But believe me, miracles occur. They're uh, absolutely abounding in this kind of world of the spiritual uh, in healing. I mean, we all have tremendous power to heal ourselves. Uh, and I think uh, when I when I then met Michael Shermer uh, at another place where he was supposed to be debunk, debunking me yet again, I congratulated him on that uh, writing that uh, report in Scientific American where he said, if you don't have the evidence, you got to keep an open mind. I said, that was very brave of you. And and of course, you know, the rest of the story, he and his wife going, oh, no, 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 no. We figured all that out. Yeah, we know why that radio did that. And I was like, okay, tell me. Well, it had to be a rational explanation. We don't know what it is, but we know that's the case. I mean, what a backpedal into nonsense, you know, believe the evidence when it's right before your eyes. And that's the psychedelic studies, the researchers not believing the evidence right before their eyes. And I can think of countless individuals, family, friends who say, well, I saw this once, but it must have been because I was I had a bit of wine. I, I heard this, but it must have been something else. You right. know, that cognitive dissonance. It's really hard for people to accept. Well, I, I must say one of the greatest gifts I've received from the universe by 
going public with my story. And you're right, there have been a lot of attacks and uh, all that, even though I can also tell you there are many scientists, engineers, physicians, nurses, uh, other very scientifically educated people who have been very grateful to me because they knew the materialist model was a fake uh, and they had their own personal experience. Uh, so this is uh, really an extraordinary thing to share. That's one of the reasons I wrote Proof of Heaven. But the gift to me has been that uh, there are many, many thousands of people who have come up to me after my talks, who have communicated to me by email, who communicate to us through sacred acoustics, etc., who have uh, basically told me, uh, I'll tell you this story that happened to me 50 years ago, but I've never told anybody else. So they share these deep, profound stories that they would never dare share with someone else. They trust in me. And so that has allowed me to trust much more uh, grandly in the universe at large, because all it does is affirm and affirm and confirm my observations and understanding of this from many, many points of view, from personal experiences of many people. And of course, these are such memorable experiences that uh, they could have had it back in the 1940s or 50s as a death uh, bed vision of a, a grandparent or something like that, but they remember it to this day. Uh, these uh, these releva revelations are really kind of astonishing and very uh, uh, deep and rich. They stick with us because they're a deep part of our soul journey. I think the importance is just continuing to share our stories and be open and pave the way for open conversations for these experiences. People are just at different levels on their journey. Some people make very tiny steps and some people make huge leaps. So, you know, it's more about just sharing the stories and letting people make decisions for themselves. And I feel that most people are coming to the same conclusion because, like you said, people come up to you and say, basically, it's a relief to hear your story because something like that happened to me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, one thing I'm looking forward to is when uh, kind of the scientific journalists of this country realize that they've been had by materialist science. And when they put down near-death experiences and other uh, kind of similar discussions of non-local consciousness, um, they are really being very anti-science. Uh, you know, they're supporting a mode of science, you know, not, uh, Newtonian determinism that was actually uh, disproved as inaccurate more than 80 years ago, with the advent of quantum physics. And yet uh, a lot of these science writers are, uh, you know, so sure of the kind of uh, um, pompous uh, uh, assumptions of materialist science that have been widely disproven. Uh, and yet they don't have the kind of courage or wisdom to understand that they need to be talking about this revolution, not about the uh, kind of old disproven modes of brain creates consciousness, our existence is birth to death, nothing more, which scientists who study consciousness today will tell you is false, absolutely false. And that's where we'll make a breaking point when I think the kind of lay press and media begin to figure out that those pseudo skeptics who claim to be scientists, who actually are willfully ignorant because they've never read any of the literature on non-local consciousness, um, you know, they are not any kind of thought leader in, the, in this modern world. They're uh, holding people back in the dark ages of superstition. Materialist science is a faith-based religion that has less to support it than some of the faith-based religions. And when I say that, I mean you need to have a deeper understanding of quantum physics, 
of everything about Einstein's complaints about it in 1935, about John Bell's response to that complaint in 1964, and then the experiments beginning in Paris in 1982 with Alain Aspect that took advantage of that Bell inequality uh, and then started to disprove Einstein's notion of spooky action at a distance as being uh, done by hidden variables. In other words, every experiment done along those parameters uh, since the early 1980s has proven the reality of non-local consciousness. Entanglement is a very real phenomenon. The universe is interconnected in vast ways that we have uh, no understanding of at present. And uh, there's a tremendous uh, uh, kind of way for science to go in helping humanity to rise to the next level. But the first mission is to get rid of the as, uh, the nonsensical assumptions of materialism that the brain creates consciousness and that uh, the death of the body is the death of experience. It is absolutely not. And that's where this revolution in science can be very refreshing. The only death that's needed is death of the ego. And then things exactly. <laughs> come together. <laughs> very good point. In fact, you, I often do that in meditation. I learned that long ago that the little ego voice, the linguistic voice in your head. I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls the voice in the head, uh, the annoying roommate, uh, a beautiful way to look at it. So many of us treat that voice in our head, that little running stream of thoughts as who we are. We identify with it, but it's little more than the ego mind. And uh, in meditation, the first thing I do, I let my ego mind make a statement, an observation, a stated intention, make a request, but then that little voice goes in time out because then it's time to uh, open myself to my neutral observer and to much richer wisdom flowing in from primordial mind and the universe at large. That's the way true healing and coming into wholeness happens. Certainly does. So what are you and Karen up to these days? Is it your workshops with Sacred Acoustic? Is that mostly what you're working on today? Well, we, um, we're actually uh, very involved, uh, have been for the last year, uh, on a bi-weekly webinar uh, that we love sharing with people. It's absolutely free. I would encourage all of your listeners to hop on board. It's every other Thursday at four o'clock Eastern time. And uh, we've, what we do is we interview guests. Uh, we started all this back at the beginning of the pandemic in, in March of uh, 2020. And we've continued it because we've gotten a lot of uh, very positive feedback from uh, listeners. They love that this is shared for free, that our guests are luminaries in the world of uh, the science of consciousness studies. They're uh, people who've had profound experiences themselves, uh, people with kind of a deep and rich uh, spiritual uh, kind of tradition and message, and uh, but also very much scientific. I mean, I'm a scientist, so every bit of this has to have a, a basis in kind of the scientific study of consciousness. So anybody who wants to join us uh, for that biweekly webinar, again, totally free, unitedinhopeandhealing.com. Uh, there's several other options uh, at that uh, website uh, for various programs that we're offering, but you can certainly find that biweekly webinar there. Um, that's really kind of our main project, although I must say we, we also have a bit of interest now. There's a, a certain project that's being, uh, or a competition that's being hosted by Bigelow uh, Institute of Consciousness Studies uh, out of Las Vegas. And uh, it's, it's really wonderful. It's a monetary prize uh, to anyone who can write the best essay uh, that, uh, that proves the reality of survival of the soul after bodily death. 
and uh, very exciting. Uh, we're working on that this summer. Uh, and the, the uh, winner of that contest will be announced November 1st of 2021. And uh, to me, the only thing that matters is I know a lot of people participating, uh, a lot of very brilliant scientific minds and people who really get this. So I'm sure what will happen is the top essay will help to shift this world uh, into a much more realistic understanding of the absolute reality, not only of the afterlife, but of reincarnation as a scientifically studied topic. That's what consciousness is. Uh, and uh, that top essay will be very important. I'm, I'm sure they'll publicize it widely. And for us, it's, it's a beautiful time to kind of bring our thinking together on all of that. That's wonderful. I'm very excited to see the results. Yes, well, I am too. Yeah, that'll I be bet. very exciting. I think uh, everybody's getting their papers in by early August, and then we have to wait. The, the good news is they have a very, very competent judges for this. I mean, the whole thing would fall apart if you had, you know, ridiculous uh, pseudo skeptic uh, debunkers. But they don't. They've got people who absolutely know this literature and know what they're talking about. Uh, deeply scientific and uh, very respected. And yes, this is going to be a game changer. Most definitely. Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for your time. It's been a very enlightening conversation. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for having me on. I've loved it. And uh, you have a great day. And hopefully we can talk again sometime. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Dr. Eben Alexander. For more information and to find his books, please visit ebenalexander.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And be sure to join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.